Welcome back to Well, That's Interesting, the I'm glad we don't do that anymore edition. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm nervous. Uh... (laughs) Today's episode 064, how human brains were once used as medicine. Why? Who came up with this, you guys? Uh, All questions we're going to answer today. Amazing. But also, oh, no. I'm Jill Chacha, and I am with just already horrified Marissa Riley. Thank you. It's it's good to be here. Why are brains medicine? I don't know. They were at one point, yes. Why? (laughs) I'm just going to keep moaning why over and over again. Well, uh, we're going to answer that. And if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock. Welcome. (laughs) Dr. Riley here comes in cold and learns everything in real time, just like you. It's true. I had no idea um, we were going to talk about this. I I had no (laughs) idea this was a thing. I had no idea it was possible. I kind of had a dream about this once, but I just assumed uh, that it was a combination of movies I'd seen and trauma. Um, But... I guess it's yep. real. It is real. It is absolutely real. Uh, and it went on for hundreds of years. Why? <laughs> oh, my God. I I just assumed this was like a one-year trend. <laughs> just a trend. Ugh. Just like mom jeans and this. Yeah. I, I don't know. Mom <laughs> jeans have been... Have been Hitting hard for about ten That's years true. now. That's they, true. They're they're not going anywhere. Oh my god! So, uh, I guess we should begin, huh? We should. All right, let's begin. Let's begin by heading back in time, just a mere three hundred and fifty years ago. Not that long ago, <laughs> give or take, to the lands of England, Ireland, and Scotland, where our king, King Charles II, uh, has a headache. Welcome, join the club. <laughs> Needless to say, when the king has a headache, we all have a headache. Yes. And unfortunately, aspirin wasn't invented until 1897, 200 years from now. Oh. Yeah. But I have good news. Uh, king, king Charles spared no expense when it came to the cutting-edge medicine of his day. Uh, by his day, I mean the mid-1600s, and when I say cutting-edge, I mean it literally. What? Uh, here's what I mean. So, what? <laughs> rumor has it, physician... Uh, sorry, rumor had it, past tense... Uh, Physician Jonathan Goddard had the one and only recipe for curing things like headaches. Okay. And it was for sale. Okay. That's right. Healthcare for sale. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Can you imagine? My mind is blown. Um. Now, the ingredients for this tonic were actually well known. Um, All you would need uh, was your favorite alcohol. Okay. All right. I got that. Oh, and about five pounds of human skull, which you would crush into a powder and distill. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Five pounds. And this of skull. worked. Um, well, let's get into it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you drink any kind of alcohol, your 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 feelings about everything are going to change yeah, a little bit. Exactly. So, yeah, the skull part <laughs> is kind of irrelevant. That can, but uh, yeah, I feel like that's you know. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad we've taken that out of our drinks. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, now, I don't know what the preferred ratio of alcohol to distilled skull powder was, and no one else did. But when you're the wealthiest man on planet Earth who believes he's been ordained by God, this is an easy fix. Mm-hmm. King Charles II sent for Jonathan, and I'm sure a very one-sided conversation was had, where King, Ch- <laughs> where King Charles acquired the recipe for 6,000 pounds. Now, 6,000 pounds 
it's a lot even today. Yeah. But, but it was even more so back in the mid-1600s. Yeah, that's like $80 trillion, right? <laughs> I, was about to Am ask I, close? You, I was just about to ask what you thought the equivalent would be. For, I, I like so. how you didn't have to ask me about money. I, I just, I was like, here's my thought. Um, I hate it. Uh, I hate it and I want all of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, 80 trillion. Uh, yeah, I'm going with 80 trillion. Sticking okay. with 80 trillion. Pretty close. Uh, it's about, it's a little over 630,000 pounds. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, that, that's basically 80 trillion yeah, to me. pretty much. A- anything over like <laughs> 50 bucks, I'm like, wow, you're rich. <laughs> Now, according to nationalarchives.gov.uk, that amount of money in 1660 could buy you 941 horses. Holy shit. 1,100 cows. Or get this, pay for about 86,000 days of labor from one lowly skilled tradesman. I mean, 86,000 days. I mean, that's like, that's like lifetimes. Yes, lifetimes. For, for people at that time yeah i mean basically you got that family yeah it, it's, it's like oh gross it's seamless for life yeah. except they kill the animals and bring them to tradesmen i don't know what it <laughs> how does that that was a trade how, how does yeah anyways let's, let's, move, let's past, move on uh what a tradesman is <laughs> 630,000 pounds can also get you that coveted headache relief recipe, which King Charles just fucking adored and swore by, eventually adjusting the tonic to his own liking, which I think translates to just adding more booze. That sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway, skulls were crushed and powders were distilled practically on a daily basis. Oh my god. Even on his deathbed in 1685, King Charles downed a few sips of what became known as the King's Drops. Oh my god, he named it after named himself. It. What course. a what a douche. You know he started that, right? Yes. Only that's like the type of douche that starts his own nickname. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, "Hey, what if we all called me the Fire?" And uh everyone's like, no, Bob, we're not going to call you the fire. And then he pays for like a ski trip for all of them. And they're like, what's up, the fire? Yes. I love this scenario. Do you like you, how you fast just... I came up with this douchebag <laughs> origin story? You just pulled it right out of your ass. It was amazing. I, th- <laughs> Look at how creative I am. Wow. So although the drops didn't save the king on that day, their reputation wasn't smeared or damaged by any means. In fact, because the king loved them so literally to his dying day, eventually the upper classes would adopt this practice of crushing and distilling skulls until their pain was gone, i.e. drunk as fuck and picking teeny bits of bone out from between their teeth. Fun! Yeah. Not sinister at all. No. <laughs> now, I'm sure you have a few questions, like, whose fucking skulls were they? Yeah! Right? Kind of. I kind <laughs> of have that question. I also answered it in my head really yeah. quickly, because I just feel like everyone is dying mm. really fast, really easily from, like, illnesses. True. Like, very fast. True. So there's just got to be tons of bodies just hanging out. But also... Maybe you need specific kinds of skulls. Ah. I don't know. I have a feeling you know. Yeah. Uh, put a pin in the specific kind of skull. Got That's it. for later in the show. Oh, fine. But for right now, right now, um, if others were thinking, um, I bet they belong to marginalized populations that were killed, or maybe they were skulls to be harvested from those sentenced to, to die. Yeah. That's, those are two good guesses because those are right yeah. that's fair so, that's fair uh for example king charles preferred the skulls of the irish 
paying gravediggers there to provide a steady flow of heads. Well, why the Irish, you ask? Well, from 1536 to 1691, Ireland, quote, saw the first full conquest of the island by England and its colonization with Protestant settlers from Great Britain. The period saw Irish society transform from a locally driven clan-based Gaelic structure to a centralized monarchical Monarchical? Monarchical. Mm-hmm. Ma- mm-hmm. State-governed society. <laughs> <laughs> End quote. So, in translation, they were being colonized. And as such, the natives were considered less than dog shit, so stealing their skulls off the battlefield or from family cemeteries was no biggie. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know... As there are just so many bodies everywhere in this time period. The, the, yeah. Before, like, I don't know, like 1980, there were just bodies everywhere. <laughs> just, just knee deep. And just, we we're bodies. just waiting in it's bodies. <laughs> I, I Okay, 1980 was a stretch. 1975 <laughs> is more like it. Um, but yeah, were the, I guess, you know, he's, he, he wanted Irish skulls. That was the douche. Fire. Fire is a douche. The fire, y'all. Fucking douche. So specific with the needs. Jesus. So that quote is from the History History of Ireland wiki page, by the way. So I I just thought of like King Charles if he was like a musician and his writer Mm. would be so specific. It would be like, I need sugar-free Red Bull. Oh, yeah. I need a bottle of this specific expensive whiskey. And then I need uh, 12... Irish skulls. Yes. Yes. Um, finely ground mm-hmm. um, in if, little baggies. If we ever, or I should say when we get the show on the road, mm-hmm. that's going to be in our writer. Wonderful. Okay. Okay, so. We can draft it up tonight. Skulls. We have to, we have to request skulls. Skulls. Okay. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. okay. Back to the Somebody podcast. Somebody write that down. Remember. Put it okay. on a tote, too. <laughs> so. You never know. <laughs> uh, and this, don't worry, it all gets better. Uh, it seems the only thing to successfully trickle down from the rich was the notion that medicinal cannibalism was the way to go. Uh, let's talk about criminals condemned to die. <laughs> now, if you were dirt fucking poor in Europe and in need of medical assistance, all you'd have to do was wait until execution day. Great. Mm-hmm. Dr. Marissa, please tell us, what did... Uh, Dr. Richard Sugg tell the Daily Mail in an interview about his new book, Mummies, Cannibals, and Vampires, the history of corpse medicine from the Renaissance to the Victorians as to what happened during the days of public public executions. I would, I would love to tell you. All right, quote, <laughs> uh, over in continental Europe, where the axe fell routinely on the necks of criminals, blood was the medicine of choice for many epileptics. Uh, in Denmark, the young Hans Christian Andersen saw parents getting their sick child to drink blood at the scaffold. Oh, my God. Yeah. So popular was this treatment that hangmen routinely had their assistants catch blood in cups as it spurted from the necks of dying felons. Occasionally, a patient might shortcut the system. At one early 16th century execution in Germany, a vagrant grabbed the beheaded body before it had fallen and drank blood from him. The last recorded instance of this practice uh, was in Germany, uh, 19, or 18. 
65, end quote, that's not that long ago. No, it's not. Also. No, it is not. How? Wow. Yes. Just the lines. Yep. They're, uh, how do you, how do you cross the line if there is not one? I <laughs> There's no They're line to just, cross here. I just have the, I, I can just see the holding your child yep. up yep. while it drinks blood. Yep. Uh, not that long ago. Wow. Not that long ago. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, if you had some money to spare, you're in luck. You could buy yourself some human parts from the executioner. Oh, goody. So you didn't, so you didn't have to stand there at the scaffold with your mouth open. So. Yeah, like a, <laughs> like a poor person. <laughs> no, jeez. <laughs> Uh, so according to the incredible book, Quackery, A Brief History on the Worst Ways to Cure Everything, Amazing. by Lydia Kang and Nate Peterson, quote, executioners made a pretty penny off the skin and fat of dispatched criminals. Oh, my God. Uh, just a side note here. Um, I just wanted to point out that they're making money off the prison population, which yeah. that may also sound familiar. Yeah, <laughs> it does, which is sad. Yeah. So, yeah. Back to the quote, apothecaries were particularly fond of oil of human fat, also called man's grease, poor sinner's fat, and hangman's salve. Oh, my God. It was employed for wound healing, pain relief, cancers, love potions, gout, rheumatism. Some women believed that wearing tanned skin around their bellies helped childbirth pains. Yeah. Human skin could also be worn around the neck to prevent goiters or thyroid enlargement. One executioner's wife used human fat to treat a woman's broken hand in the 1700s. End quote. You know, <laughs> hands in face, fully in I face, just, folks. <laughs> I just make so many jokes about yeah. cannibals all the time, like daily, because it just True. seems like so distant from me. It seems like it happened a long time ago to people far, far away, and um, it didn't. It no. it. It happened in so many ways so recently. And yeah, that's right. So casually. Yeah, you just, pregnant women were doing, Putting wearing skin, skin. <laughs> yes. on. I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to sleep tonight. That's, that's, but I, I do need you to tell me everything else you know on this subject. Right. Great. Um, <laughs> A few more pages to go, so you're in luck. So, uh, now the reasoning behind all of this uh, was maybe something you've heard before. Uh, The theory, like cures like. Oh, Uh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, For example, grinding up a human skull for pains in the head or drinking blood for diseases thought to be of the blood. A a drunk person, (laughs) 900% came up with this. I know because I've been drunk and I'm like, you know, that seems right. (laughs) That seems like a good idea. That seems right. Drunk math. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want stronger hair, so I'm going to eat hair? Yeah. Yeah, seems about right. (laughs) So that was a new popular theory at the time, and it actually combined alongside a resurgence of an ancient belief that uh, you gain the vitality of the person you consumed. Ah, yeah, got it. Not only would you get their energy, but you would absorb the energy in which they died. Oh, And the more energy or violent, the better for you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Twist. Yeah. After the break, you don't need to be a zombie to love brains, (laughs) especially if you were around in the 1600s. Oh, my God. We're finally going to talk about the brains. Thank God. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Please do. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey everyone, Jill Chacha here from Well That's Interesting, and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you about Spotify for Podcasters. I use it, I love it, and it all started by downloading the free Spotify for Podcasters app, which has all the tools you need in one place to record and edit your masterpiece of a podcast. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your show to all major platforms, so when you hit publish, your episodes will stream not only on Spotify, but I'm talking about the Apples, the Googles, Stitcher, Good Pods, the other ones. <laughs> you get the idea. And you can monetize your podcast with no minimum listenership required. You could also set up monthly subscriptions and record ads just like this one. So what are you waiting for? Download Spotify for Podcasters today and start changing the world. Oh, and please, stay interesting. And we're back. We are so back. We're so back. And we're moving on from headaches to epilepsy. Ooh, what a jump. <laughs> <That's right. sighs> now, I did a little digging, and boy, howdy. Epilepsy, or seizure disorder, uh-huh. is one, extremely common. Yes. Two, we've come leaps and fucking bounds in terms of treatment. And three, we also have a long way to go because the more we learn about the brain, the more questions arise basically it's it's so true fun fact i have a seizure disorder it's completely under control thanks to awesome medications but every time i ask about it they're like we honestly have no idea yeah like where it came from we can guess Mm -hmm. but as far as the difference between your brain and like everyone who doesn't have a seizure disorder's brain Mm -hmm. we don't know Mm -hmm. they don't know and they are Titans of the field. Yeah, I know. That's right. My doctors are, I don't know why I thought of the word Titan. I meant, I meant like they're professionals who went to a lot of school, yeah. but yeah, they just shrug. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, but you saw it. Yeah. I sat in a machine for like 45 minutes. Yeah. They saw your brain. Saw your brain scan. Yeah. They put it on All a CD for me yeah. that I lost. <laughs> I think it's under the dresser. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll leave it there. At least we know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up because yes. I'm going to bring that up in a minute. Amazing. Um, so here's what I mean that we have a long way to go. Now, according to cureepilepsy.org, we do know, quote, it's a diverse group of neurological disorders of varying types and severities, which are characterized by reoccurrent seizures yes, or recurrent seizures. When a person has had two or more seizures, which have not been provoked by a specific event, such as trauma, infection, fever, or chemical change, they are considered to have epilepsy. In general, epilepsy and seizures result from abnormal circuit 
circuit activity in the brain. Any event ranging from faulty wiring, during brain development, brain inflammation, physical injury, or infection can lead to a seizure and epilepsy. End quote. Yep. And yeah, but a lot of times they just happen. And we have no idea why. That's right. 50% of patients diagnosed with epilepsy, the cause is unknown. Exactly. Yes. 50%. Uh, and listen to this fucking staggering number. One in 26 Americans will develop ep- epilepsy in their time. It's it's crazy the amount of people that have it. A lot of people don't get medication for it because they think it's a fluke or they mm-hmm. just have it a couple times. And yeah. then some people very much so need it because they have it yeah. very consistently. Yes. So it's just really interesting. People have all different types. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you know the trigger. Sometimes you don't. And it's so strange. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, like you said, there are medications. There's anti-seizure devices and surgery options available to help patients with epilepsy become seizure-free. But even today, 30% of those patients are unresponsive to help and their seizures remained uncontrolled. Now, my friends, knowing these stats, you can imagine the fear of the average person in the 1600s and the lengths they would go to to control what was pretty much a mystery back then. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's still a mystery today, I can't even imagine what you would do back then. Exactly. Um, It wasn't a complete mystery. Uh, Old-timey doctors knew epilepsy had to involve the brain somehow. Yeah. So since, uh, like cures like, bust out your shovel, it's brain hunting season. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, shit. Dr. Marissa, uh, would you do the honors of reading uh, to us the instructions, or recipe, if you will, physicians followed once upon a time? Oh my god, I'm actually yeah. really excited You're to gonna do read this. it. I'm going to do this. Okay, okay, okay. This is from the recipe, in quotes, essence of man's brains, uh, which can be found in the 1651 book, The Art of Distillation by John French. Quote, (laughs) I'm sorry. Take the brains of a young man that has died a violent death. First line. (laughs) Very Shakespearean. Uh, Together with the membranes, arteries, veins, and nerves, bruise these in a stone mortar until they become kind of pap (laughs) then put as much of the spirit of wine as will cover it then digest it half a year in horse dung (laughs) right uh take it out and distill it in balneum balneum i think it's balneum yeah balneum Distill again until the greatest part of the brains be distilled off. A scruple or two of this essence taken in some specifical mm-hmm. specifical water once in a day is most infallible medicine against the falling sickness and quote off. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Wow, right? Shit. I so it's it's really not just the brain. It's not just that. it's no. a process. It is a process. It is a journey. Let me tell you, whoever is in doing this, yeah. they are going on a 
they're they're a professional in this field. Oh, professional, this is, huh? This, I mean, this is a specific type of pharmacist who is doing this, this is all in, the time. This yeah. they they do they must do this all day every day. Yeah, I I don't know how they I don't even know how this even started, but <clears throat> yeah, to cure seizures, you get yourself the brain of someone killed mm-hmm. in a violent death. Yeah, the more the more violent, the better. Yeah. Smash it up, add some wine, bury that pot in horse shit for a year, mm-hmm. pop it out, clean it off, and you got yourself a cure. That's basically. I mean, but that's basically what's going on here. But did it? I mean, obviously this isn't working, but it must have yielded a result. Placebo. I'm not thinking placebo. Total, total, total placebo. placebo. Yeah. Some, uh, to be fair, some people have like two seizures and then they never have seizures again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I'm guessing it really worked for those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking. Why a violent death? Yeah. Well, according, <laughs> <laughs> according to mentalfloss.com, cures taken from corpses that had died horribly were often thought to be extra powerful because violence was seen to somehow concentrate the life force End quote. I think a, a man came yes. up with that. <laughs> I think that's a, I think a man was oh yeah thought of that. What's the quote from The Good Place? Um, <laughs> who are who are we looking for? <laughs> a man or two men? <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. So suddenness and brutality were like salt and pepper for a corpse. Yeah. Basically. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lydia Kang, co-author of Quackery, confirmed, uh, you wanted somebody who died in the prime of their life. So execution and war were ideal ways to get these products, she told atlasobscura.com. Got it. That's right. She said the word products. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. The West's obsession with corpse medicine led to hundreds of years of human remains being a lucrative trade. Oh, my God. Some of the last records of medicinal skull sales were dated as late as 1778. Oh, my God. Now, there could be a whole fucking Ken Burns documentary series on how white folks snorted, ate, and drank Egyptian mummies when they ran out of other bodies to use. But I'm going to skip to the 1800s when germ theory and vaccines were discovered, developed, and most important, believed by the greater public to work. Got it. Yes. Damn it. The 1800s is when... Medicinal cannibalism really finally died out. Great. <laughs> Great. Ah, the 1800s. And to be honest with you, I finished writing this after accidentally drinking a 10% beer. And ah, I <laughs> it was this afternoon. This was okay. <laughs> and couldn't think of a super positive ending, except for this. Not all of humanity makes shit. That's awful. Okay. Now, <clears throat> Dr. Marissa, if you would, please read the headline and byline of a fantastic article published this past, this past October in the Huffington Post. Uh, nothing would make me happier. Okay. <sighs> all right. Here we go. Uh, quote, uh, here's the title. Bosnian man builds a rotating house as monument of his love for his wife. <laughs> what? Okay. Um, Vojin uh, Cusick, 72, says the home's front door also rotates. So if his wife 
quote, spots unwanted guests heading our way, she can spin the house and make them turn away. End quote. If that's not love, I don't know what is. It's it's, it's so incredible. It's Jill. No. Where's my rotating house and door? <laughs> I'll work on it. I swear. Please do. <laughs> but would you like? In the meantime, would you like to see uh, this particular house? And... I didn't even know we could see it. I thought that was all I was getting was just the knowledge of it. I yes, have, of course, I, I have... want to see it. <laughs> I have a beautiful photo of this house. It'll be on all of our social media stuff. So please come on by and see the house that love built. Dr. Marissa, please (laughs) tell us, what do you see in this photo? First of all, (laughs) I just want to point out, it is is pea soup green. Yes. It is neon green. I wonder how his wife felt about that. Um, Maybe it was her favorite color. I don't know. It's not mine, um, but it looks like a house that is on a lazy Susan. It yeah, is like exactly on a little like cinder block, like thing. a cinder block thing, and you can tell it's kind of wobbly, like something on a lazy Susan. And I can just imagine walking up to it and giving it a little shove <laughs> yeah, and making it everyone, like it and, yeah, it it would turn right, and yeah. So it's it's a, and he's standing in front of it, yeah. looking very Bosnian, very Bosnian. <laughs> oh my god, he's got a flat. Uh, what is it? A uh, he's got a haircut you can set a clock to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's very he, flat and tight. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. If he stood outside of a gay bar, uh, people would mistake him for uh, <laughs> the door woman. <laughs> we could say that joke. We're gay. Oh, yeah. we're gay. Oh my god. Oh my god. We're we're very gay. Oh. Very gay. Very gay together. So uh, now this isn't just to spur visitors. Um, it was built quote to rotate a full circle to satisfy his wife uh, Lubjica's shifting desires as to what she would like to see when she looks out of its windows. Oh. I know. And my friends, the icing on this adorable as fuck cake is, quote, Kusik, who did not have a chance to go to college, designed and built this rotating house by himself <gasps> using electric motors and the wheels of an old military transport vehicle, end quote. Oh, my God. He built it piece by piece. Piece by piece. He did a great job. He did. Other than the color, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're into that. It, other other than that, it's very beautifully designed. Yeah. I have, and a, I have he, a feeling, uh, Lubjica, that she wanted that color. I, I have like a feeling that was her vibe. <laughs> she has some demands. <laughs> she Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's there to please. Yeah. He's there to please this woman. And and he did. Yeah. <laughs> well so, done. Well done. Piece by piece, this old dude made his own Taj Mahal for his wife. Aww. And yeah, I'm going to cry and order that beer again. I'm, I'm going to help <laughs> you and also cry. <laughs> The end. The end. There you go. I, I loved that. I was not in a good mood before we recorded. And now I'm in a great mood. That's, yeah, that's what it's all about. See, brains and uh, lime green houses will do that. Yeah, they just <laughs> they really cheer you up. <laughs> ah, cannibalism. Uh, thank you for listening, subscribing, telling your friends about all the brains rich people ate. And yeah. How, how the table should turn and we should eat them. But that's that's another episode maybe next week (laughs) uh and please stay interesting please do